0: On this week's Thinking Biblically, we're taking a look at a biblical perspective on abortion. This is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically, a podcast dedicated to seeing how all scripture relates to all of life. And on this week on Thinking Biblically, I always forget to say it, though I don't forget to say it. Don't forget to subscribe and Click the notification bell, and as well, please let other people know about this podcast. That will help them. That will help all of us. So that'd be great if you could do that. We have a very special guest this week, uh, one of my favorite people. It's Devorah Stacy. Devorah is my daughter, one of them. Many of you know we have 10 children, and uh, Devorah is number five and uh devora stacy has been involved in the pro-life movement in various capacities since she was 13. most recently she was the outreach director for the canadian center of bioethical reform is married to mike and they welcomed their first child kezia this past year welcome devora
1: thanks dad yeah
0: you're welcome it's so good to see you uh, even though it ha- it's this this way uh, but uh, you know, I could safely say that I came to an understanding of a biblical perspective on the issue of abortion and the whole pro-life a pro-life perspective from you and the journey that, that you have been on. Uh, as you know, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of believers think of themselves as pro-life, but they haven't actually thought all the issues through, and often interspersed with an affinity towards pro-life issues, they may not be altogether pro-life. Would you agree with that? I, I would. Yeah, so I hope you're gonna help other people like you've helped me and many other other people. So um we had a little chat uh before we started, and um y- you have your own personal story about how. The Lord brought this issue to you, and I thought it'd be really helpful if you could share that with with the folks uh, right now, if you could. How did you get led into your interest in things pro-life?
1: Well, I learned about abortion from a very young age. Um, It was something that concerned me, something I prayed about. Um, But when I was 13 years old, I had a dream. And in this dream, me and my friends were walking around, goofing off, joking, and just having fun. And then I stepped on something. And underneath my foot, I heard and felt a sickening crunch. And so I jumped back and looked down to see what I had stepped on. And in front of me was a little girl. She was bloody and mangled and dead. And as often happens in dreams, all of a sudden, me and my friends were our surroundings completely changed. And as far as I could see in every direction, there were boys and girls, all of them buddy and all of them dead. And then there was a voice. We heard a voice in this dream. And the voice said, this is your generation that's been killed by abortion. Their blood is crying out to me. If you do nothing about it, their blood will be on your heads. And then I woke up and that dream really shook me. It really convicted me, really compelled me to do something about abortion. And I think, yeah, just again, turning back to prayer, turning to talking to my friends, um, talking to them about what abortion was and, and how it impacted our generation and our country and the lives of children every day. And just, Starting to educate myself That's really when I started engaging with the issue um, and trying to get active and trying to do outreach and trying to seek to see how I could prevent children from being taken away to death by abortion.
0: Yeah, I remember when I first heard that story, both both me and your mom, uh, you were doing a presentation at a fellowship uh, here in Ottawa. And you opened up your presentation by sharing that dream, and your mom and I looked at each other, and, and with the oh, I didn't know this happened, and it was years, it was it was several years before um, we knew you'd become passionate for this issue, but we didn't know how uh, how it was this experience that was the the initial thing to to spur you on. And, and before we go further with it, uh, I sometimes wonder if there are people that are tuning into thinking biblically and and wonder why are we talking about A dream and and somebody's experience, I I have the impression that maybe some people assume that to do thinking biblically means we have to do Bible studies and we're going to always open up passages and go verse by verse and understanding the Bible. But but actually, um, thinking biblically has to uh, be about how people engage the scriptures in a biblical way Mm -hmm. and we know from the Bible that God speaks, God speaks through a variety of ways. Sometimes the way he's, sometimes what we think he's saying may not be correct. But in this case, uh, Devorah had a, an experience, the letter to dig deeper into something that is truly biblical. And in this case, many people ignore it. Now, have have you, as you, what happened when you began? Now we didn't know about your dream. We know we knew that while you were pursuing other things in life, uh, pro-life things um, and standing up for pro-life were, was like a constant. That it was something that you were that you were still doing, and eventually became something you did full time. How were other people reacting or responding to your passion for the preborn?
1: In a variety of ways, Um, obviously there's people who are very, um, they're strongly pro-life themselves and they're just excited to meet someone else who's also wanting to make a difference in the lives of pre-born children. Um, There's a lot of, like you mentioned, a lot of people um, are pro-life and sometimes I actually think it would surprise people if you start talking about abortion, not um, all the negative, uh, negative responses you might get. I think often the media paints it like everyone is for abortion. Um, You'd be surprised at how many people are pro-life. Now, once you start finding out that people are pro-life, which is great, um, it kind of goes one of two ways. Um, Either people wanna just kind of push you off because they don't wanna actually have to face the reality of what's happening in our country and in our world when it comes to abortion. Um, People care about a lot of issues. There's a lot of things going on in the world, a lot of tragedy, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of terrible things. Um, but to think that in Canada alone, over 300 children are intentionally and directly killed by abortion, that's so tragic. And people would like,
0: would that's like how, that 300, how often
1: every day in Canada,
0: every day, which comes out to about a year,
1: about a hundred thousand a year. And, um, yeah. And then people, people just don't want to think about that. Um, However, um, there's other people and the other kind of response I get from people who are pro-life, um, is a lot of people just, they don't actually know that they can do something. And to be fair, I was in that situation for years. I, I volunteered in so many different ways and for so many different organizations and groups, just because I didn't know what was effective, what can actually save a life. So if I heard something was labeled pro-life, I kind of, digested it. Um, so people are really excited to hear that there's actually something effective you can do about abortion. Um, and then I guess the other kind of people you meet are people who may consider themselves pro-life. Maybe they don't, um, but they've been impacted by abortion. Um, uh, maybe they had an abortion, maybe a sister or a cousin or a dear friend or a parent had an abortion or, or a child, one of their children, uh, fathered or mothered an abortion. And, um, I think that would be something else that maybe shocks people. I I don't think I was shocked partially just because I knew statistics, but it does feel different when you start meeting the people. And I remember one lady telling me, oh, it's so great you do pro-life work. I know no one who's ever had an abortion, but, you know, it's important someone's out there doing it in case you meet someone who's considering an abortion. And I actually know that one of her family members had had an abortion and she didn't know. And so um, a lot of people are impacted at more people than, then they know themselves. Um, But even there, a lot of, a lot of people, every, everyone, almost everyone has a family member who's had an abortion. Almost everyone has someone in their church who's had an abortion. Um, And so everyone's been impacted by it. And so I think there's a lot of struggle because a lot of people don't want to talk about abortion. And then when you don't talk about it, people who are struggling and grieving their own abortion experience, instead of finding healing and forgiveness and freedom, they're actually ostracized and they're full of shame and they never heal. And so just meeting a lot of those people, people with these festering wounds and heartbreak over um, the life of, again, their child, their niece, their cousin, their family member, their sibling that was aborted. Um, and so. Yeah, those, those are some of the different reactions. Um, people want to be apathetic and stay that way. People who are so excited to find out something can actually be done. And then a lot of people who've just been so impacted by abortion and silenced about abortion and just are hurting because of it. So I think those yeah. are probably the, the main reactions I would get.
0: Yeah, let, let, let's take a, a little bit to look at that because you, you already alluded to that more than once about people being impacted by abortion. There a lot of people what they see in mainstream media is uh, abortion. So big deal abortion. First of all, we shouldn't talk about that. I shouldn't be talking because I'm a man. Maybe you could talk about it, but also you're only supposed to be able to talk about it from the, the the perspective of the rights of the woman. And we even have had in recent years, this, this kind of like celebrate your abortion, shout about it from the rooftop sort of thing, which adds to the, it's it, to have the right to abortion for a woman is seen as this being uh, released from oppression and and control and this sort of thing. But then you're talking about people being impacted by abortion, which is something that we don't hear. I think it's even denied. It's this idea, oh, well, abortion's no big deal. But can you talk more about that and maybe even give some uh, examples of people you've met? that have been impacted by abortion, and, and Veg, we'll talk about the person who's most impacted by abortion, and that's the child, we'll, we'll get there, but, but uh, the woman and other people. Can you, can you take some time for that?
1: Mm-hmm. So one of the first um, conversations I ever had with someone who has uh, considered themselves pro-choice, pro-abortion, um, I had just recently connected with, uh, who you mentioned I worked for for years, the Canadian Centre for Bachelore Form, and I, I went to one of their workshops um, and then I was volunteering for one of their outreach projects. And I talked to a couple, a middle-aged couple who uh, were very staunchly for abortion. And whatever we talked about, however the conversation went, they just kept on saying, you know, abortion is a good choice for some people. People need the choice to have an abortion. And when you bring up a very logical argument, which is um, the one that explains and shows quite easily that abortion it's a human rights violation that takes the life of an innocent human and people just put up complete walls you often know that you're talking to someone who's connected to abortion themselves they're not following the logical um, argument you're putting before them they're they're responding just with emotion and with pain and, and with a very closed mind and so often that means they're hurting and so i've learned if i'm talking to someone and they don't want to follow the logic it's probably because of a personal experience um sometimes just a hard hard life that they've lived um, but often, very often it's because they're connected to an abortion themselves. And so just to kind of segue into that, um, I wasn't gonna rudely pry into their personal business. I just said to them, um, to this couple, I said, Well, you know, you keep on saying that people have um have the choice to have an abortion and it's a good thing for some people. Have you ever heard of people who regretted their abortion? And the man just quickly said, No, I've never heard of that. Said, yeah, there's actually groups of people um, who there's support groups for both women and men who've parented an abortion and they work through the grieving process and the healing process and and the process of um, receiving forgiveness for, for their past involvement in abortion. And this couple immediately said, can I have their contacts? And they opened up that they had had an abortion when they were younger. Together, um, as a couple, they didn't feel like they were ready for a child. They had an abortion. And it had just that shame and that guilt and that grief had eaten them up for years. Um, And instead of that softening their hearts, um, what that did is just harden their hearts. And you can imagine, too, they had never heard of someone else regarding their abortion. And so the voice of the media and the world, I'm sure friends and family, too, were coming at them saying, you know what? Abortion was the right choice, it was a good choice, be proud of it. And so they just buried down those feelings that they had and, and the concern and the heartbreak until someone just simply said, There's other people who don't like the fact I had abortions. There's other people who grieve. there's other people who regret. And uh I was that was one of my first conversations I've ever I'd ever had with someone who's pro-abortion. And so I was almost surprised just to see that quick turnaround. Um, but that's something that I got very used to seeing is whenever I spoke to someone and they seemed extra hard hearted and extra hurting um, and extra closed to the pro life message, is just asking, not again, not rudely prying, but opening up that conversation. I'm um, giving an example of someone who had an abortion, regretted it, and, and who grieved their abortion, and just allowing them into that space to say that I had an abortion and Someone like me regrets it. Someone like me grieves it. Someone like me feels guilt about it. And I have had just the privilege, the heartbreaking privilege of talking to hundreds of people now who were very pro-choice, passionately pro-choice. But once they learned that they had permission to grieve and to mourn and to to deal with the loss and the, and the shame and the guilt that they were struggling with, once they encountered that, they started well almost immediately became pro-life and then they started that journey of healing
0: well where do you think that that guilt and that that sounds like woundedness comes from if the society's messaging is so positive about abortion uh so is do you think is is it coming from other people making them feel guilty that sort of thing i
1: think so Uh, i think like i said most people are surrounded by voices that not even just support but actually celebrate abortion the media celebrates abortion a lot of people it's become popular to celebrate it as a good not even a neutral thing not even a necessary evil so to speak but a good thing and what i found is that um people really have a strong cognitive dissonance i've met so many sorry
0: say that again what did you call that cognitive dissonance oh cognitive dissonance the
1: ability to hold to opposing things to opposing views in their mind and believe both of them even though they contradict each other
0: okay so um we can't fully get into the heads and hearts of this particular couple but in your experience you're saying that actually there's conflicting messages going on in people's Mm -hmm. hearts and minds yeah okay so So, continue.
1: yeah for example i remember um a friend of mine who is very pro-choice uh, she was at, at, the, at my house and she was seeing some old family albums. And she looked at my little sister, who's about three at the time, and said, Oh, look, there you are in this picture in your mommy's tummy, right? Where my mom was pregnant with my sister. Um, she recognizes that, right? Friends who are pro choice uh, who show ultrasound pictures and excited say, Look at my baby, right? People know preborn children are human beings. Um, I remember one uh, young man I was talking to it was just so hard to get through to him. And so finally, I just said, can you explain to me what an abortion is? But explain it to me like I'm five. And right away, he said, well, when a woman has a baby in her tummy. And I said, so and, he, and you could just see the light go on in his eyes. Goes, oh, wait. And I've, I've done that. Uh, asked that question to several people. Right. And they just it makes them click because they start thinking about it in simple terms and they know. That inside a woman when she's pregnant, it's not some other species. It's not some other being. It, it's a little baby. It's a little yeah, human. So
0: maybe, maybe we should park there for a second uh, because some would say that you invited that that person to give a very simplistic explanation and he referred to that which is inside the woman in the normal way we would say which is a baby without really thinking of it in objectively and and, and scientifically and 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 you know he didn't call it a fetus or what or, or whatever um and so some would say that we still have vestiges of um old kind of thinking and we're being over sentimental about what's in the mummy's tummy sort of thing um for those uh, well we all do can you can you give a some scientific explanation about about life and when life begins and um if there's anything you could say about why any of that is controversial go ahead too and we can see where that goes
1: for sure so when i when i've encountered people who um are for abortion, maybe they're not as sentimental, like you mentioned, they're not going to say little baby, Alyssa, no, it's not a baby, it's a fetus, it's an embryo. Um, there's a lot of questions we can ask. And a, a really easy one is if someone ever says it's not a, it's not a baby, it's a fetus, it's an embryo, you can just ask what kind of embryo, what kind of fetus, right? And we know if two human beings reproduce, they're going to reproduce a human embryo, a human fetus. Um, fetus and embryo are not uh, species categories; um, they're age categories. In the same way, um, you wouldn't say dehumanize my brother by saying he's a teenager. That's just telling you how old he is.
0: Some people might want to do that, but that's besides the point.
1: Some people, but that's not scientific. <laughs> it's not correct. And so, a uh, few just a few different points and and ways of looking at things. And so, when when I meet someone who, again, is not doing, um, not not following the logic, who's not. Quickly agreeing that abortion kills a human being, um, I like to go through a few questions uh, that I really think paint the clearly paint the scientific picture that clearly follow the logic and help people understand what we're talking about. And so, for example, I was at um, University of Toronto once, and I approached a young woman, I asked her what she thought about abortion, and she said, "Oh, I'm completely pro-choice." And so I just asked her, "Do you believe in human rights?" She said, "Yes." I asked. If two human beings reproduce, what species will their offspring be? She said human. And so I said, of course, I agree. It's not to be cats, it's not to be a dog. So if something is growing, then mustn't it be alive? She said, sure. Yeah, of course. He said, OK, so two human beings can only reproduce another living human being. Then doesn't it follow that abortion is a human rights violation and we discussed a little a little bit further a little bit more back and forth but at the end of our conversation she concluded she said yeah i completely agree with you abortion is a human rights violation and to go a little deeper into that we know that a sperm and an egg are parts of humans um they're not a whole human being of themselves they're just cells um and they're human cells and they're living cells, but they're just cells. However, at the moment of fertilization, those two cells stop being sperm and egg. They stop having the father's DNA and the mother's DNA. There's a new set of DNA right there, right then in that instant. And that newly formed organism starts functioning immediately in a coordinated manner for the health of the whole, which is the definition of what it means to be an organism. So to summarize at the moment of fertilization, you don't have reproductive cells. You don't have cells anymore. You actually have one complete organism. And if that organism has human parents, if that organism comes from other humans, it must be a human organism. In other words, a human being. And as that human organism, known as an embryo, again, if, if it's growing, only living things can grow. So we know that it is a living human being from that moment. And Again, so I went just on a little bit deeper than just saying if it's growing, we know it's alive. And you can continually go deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's whole books written about it. Um, but that, that's a summary <laughs> for tonight because we don't have hours and weeks to go over all the details. Um, but that's a summary, and that that's what that's what happens, and why at, it's. Yeah, but at that
0: but Devora at that early stage at that early stage, um, you know, the most early stage women don't even know that they're pregnant. But mm-hmm. eventually when they have an inkling that they are or have very strong, strong sensations that, yes, indeed, yeah. something's going on um, and it might be pregnancy. You know, there are so many people that would see that until uh, the the preborn child is viable outside the womb, it's really no big deal to terminate the pregnancy. What do you say to that?
1: when, when someone brings forward that idea that as till viability, this child doesn't have human rights, um, you can just think of any example. And I was, I was talking again to a, to a young lady, um, at a university campus and she brought that up. You know, I, again, I'm against abortion once the baby's viable, she said, and I asked her, well, what if someone is, a diabetic and they need insulin to live and they don't have insulin can we then go ahead and kill them or what if somebody is um is on is on some sort of machine because they're having some you know issues with oxygen they're not getting enough um just because they need assistance to live and if we take that assistance away, they die are they no longer human and she said of course not and I said so if we don't think a born human being who is dependent on someone else or something else to live deserves to be killed why would we think a pre-born child who is dependent on someone else to live deserves to be killed and again a little bit more conversation but she ended the conversation saying and agreeing with me that she's completely pro-life and another way of of putting that I talked to a young man um on university down in Florida and he brought up the same argument and kind of I just asked myself, so okay so You know, in North America, we have fantastic technology at our hospitals, and there are children being born at 24 weeks who are living. Now, go to a third world country where they don't have the kind of medicine we have.
0: And and they're living because that if they get born, if that's the right Mm -hmm. way to say it, at 24 weeks, we have medical technology to enable them to survive. Well, at this point... And and I've heard there's been cases even younger, but you get too much younger, then we don't yet have technology outside the mother's womb. Oh, I just thought of this now. The mother's womb is God's technology for the development of children. Yeah. So whether it's in the mother's womb or outside the mother's womb, the baby is equally dependent. It's just... You know, maybe one day we'll have and I think there's talk about artificial wombs and, you know, growing Mm -hmm. as a whole. Well, maybe on this podcast, we'll talk about those sorts of things another time. But there are people working on the kind of technology that can actually grow a baby from fertilization. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if we actually if we had this contraption and it was transparent, like with windows and able to see in, Mm -hmm. I wonder how people would feel about destroying the developing embryo as they're watching it grow inside the artificial womb. Mm -hmm. It all comes down to, so it's stage of development makes no difference in the life, should make no difference in the life of a human being, whether they are an embryo or in the final weeks of their life in their nineties or hundred years old. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, and even, and sometimes I I asked another, another girl at a high school, I said, well, a one year old little baby little little tiny child who's just one years old can they live completely dependent of anyone else if we leave them by themselves and no one comes to help them they're gonna die they don't know how to they don't have a credit card to go buy store for groceries they can't farm like they they can't take care of themselves and so if you have this little kid who can't take care of themselves or they'll die but we wouldn't intentionally kill that child after they're born. Why would we use that same argument and same reasoning to kill them before they're born?
0: But isn't it abusive uh, to insist that a, a woman carries a baby to term when she doesn't want to?
1: And while obviously it's great when people are expecting when, when their people are pregnant and it's, it's a wanted pregnancy. It's not something that was not wanted. Um, Obviously, it's, it's, it's a difficult situation when someone really didn't want to be pregnant. They're in a really bad life situation. Maybe they don't have the resources or the energy or even the ability to raise that child themselves. The thing is, we're not asking people to do something, I would say, extraordinary. All we're doing is saying, you need, we're asking you to take care of that child and house that child and feed that child. In the same way, so I have a daughter now, um, and I'm expected to feed her and clothe her and care for her. Um, if I just left, never went back, I would actually get in huge trouble for parental neglect, right? If, if say, you know, my husband's on a business trip, and I just think, I'm done with this parenthood thing, and I walk out of the house, and when my husband comes back, the baby's dead, uh, that's their parental neglect. I'm going to jail. Now, if I'm in a situation where I literally don't have the ability, whether it's mentally, physically, financially, if I don't have the ability to take care of that child, I can I can call the cops <laughs> and say, I, I need someone to take this kid. I, I can't. I, I have to go. I can call, you know, different places have different um, systems and centers and uh, people to care for your child. I can call someone and say, I can't be a mom anymore, but I'm not allowed to then kill my child in the time when I say I can't be a mom and between that time. And when I hand her off to somebody else, yes. and that's what we're saying yes. so so the- a woman who's pregnant, she can say, I can't parent this child, but until the time comes where she can hand that child to someone else, she doesn't have the right to end the life of that child.
0: Yeah. So I, you know, I've been hearing some of the, the commentary on the, the new Texas, what, mm-hmm. what's been called the heartbeat law that now in Texas that, um, Abortion has become illegal uh, once a heartbeat could be detected, which which more or less gets rid of almost all abortions. Um, but part of the, the rhetoric that I'm hearing on the on the on the pro abortion side is it's leaving these leaving desperate mothers with no no resources, no choice, and forcing them to be destitute and, and, and deal with this horrible situation. Um, is that really true?
1: So when it comes to the Texas law that people have been talking about, first of all, it's not quite making abortion illegal. It's a bit more complicated and nuanced how the law is put forward, um, but we don't need to get into that. I just want to um, clarify. Yes, but however, right now in Texas, abortions after the child has a heart has a detectable heartbeat. So there is a heartbeat earlier, but once the heartbeat is detectable, um, are, are, are being strongly discouraged by the law. Um, And so there is this, all these people concerned and saying, what about these poor women? What people aren't talking about is when that legislation came in place, there's also legislation um, that said that there needs to be millions of dollars, millions of taxpayers' dollars are going to help women in pregnancies um, in difficult situations. And so the amazing thing is besides that, that I don't think I've heard a peep about really in the mainstream media, Um, besides the fact that the government's saying, you know, we're not going to support you ending the life of a, of a human baby, of a human embryo, of a human child. However, we will support you give the ability to go through your pregnancy. And if you want to keep that child to continue on, or if you want to place that child for adoption or something like that, to do that. So that's amazing that the, that the government is, is doing that. However, even before, That law was put into place, and that money was allocated to women who are facing difficulty, difficult pregnancies, and difficult life situations relating to pregnancy, and 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 having children. There was actually tons of centers all across Texas, and all across America, and all across Canada that support women who are in difficult situations. And so there are so many of these centers who give they give clothing for the baby, they give diapers, they give counseling, they help women get set up with an apartment, they help women um, find a job if that's what their needs are. They they counsel these women, they work with them so that they can be um, in a good situation to take care of their baby. So that was already in place just by nonprofits, just by charities, just by volunteers, um, people giving um, even before the government came in. And so it's just been, it's just really sad to see Media not cover that because there are women who have believed in media's lies. There's no help for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's actually so many unwanted abortions because people feel stuck and they feel like that's their only option. That's what they've been told. um, Instead of saying, there's so much support for you. There's so much help. Um, All you need to do is connect with it.
0: So um, I'm going to put you a little bit uh, on the spot here. Uh, If there's anybody out there who is in a crisis pregnancy situation, or anyone out there who this conversation has brought up issues about past abortions in their own life, and they need help. um, If they write to me, and I connect them with you, do you have enough connections yourself to send them in the right direction where they could get help?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of incredible organizations already set up um, with resources, with staff who are here, and their their job is to help right. families facing facing a difficult situation, um, especially regarding pregnancy and the birth of a new child, and um, also people who have been through an abortion and who are who are hurting because of it. And so there are so many peer counseling, group counseling, one on one, all sorts of different situations. And okay. Well,
0: we don't actually we have, get, to have, have to get into all, all the. The, the fact is there's help for people who need it. And folks, yeah. if if that applies to you or you know someone who needs that kind of help and they don't know where to turn, you can email me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org and I will connect you with Devorah and she'll get you that information. And again, if she doesn't know exactly who, she'll know the person who knows, right? Yeah. Very good. So what, why don't we, we we spend some time on the on some of the social things. Uh, people's emotional uh, issues, uh, some of the scientific things, and we can go on much longer on all these things. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of God's perspective on the issue, not and not in any way to say that, that to talk about the science is not to talk about God, because when we understand science correctly, we're seeing how God has designed life. But does the Bible itself have anything to say about the issue of abortion, and and I, I'm saying abortion because pro-life is more than just our concern about uh, the pre-born child, and and more and more uh, life is being devalued in in our society, and we don't want to get sidetracked by all the, the pro-life issues that we're facing, even though they're important, and maybe we'll come to them uh, on this podcast at some point. But do you have any insights from scripture that— that even in this ancient book that didn't think in the same way as we do in our scientifically charged world, uh, that shows us God's own perspective on this issue?
1: Mm -hmm. The first thing that comes to my mind when I think of scripture's view of abortion is I see, think think of God making man in his own image, saying that life is sacred, that life is good. And just from the beginning of scripture, the value placed on human life and the heinous crime that it's seen when someone takes that innocent life. And i say that's that's the message. That's the value of life from scripture right there. Now, if you want to dig a bit more specifically and a bit deeper, um, there's two different passages that I think are my favorite to look at when I'm, I think, considering what does God think about abortion? And the first one is a passage in Exodus 21. Now, what's interesting is some people who favor abortion, especially people who call themselves believers and support abortion, like to use Exodus 21 to say that God is for abortion. So at the same time, I'm going to say the exact same passage is showing the pro-life nature of God and again how God is against abortion. And so how the scripture goes, you can look it up yourself, read read the details, I'll, I'll summarize but the situation is talking about laws regarding um, accidental death and things like that. And so it talks about two men fighting together and accidentally striking a pregnant woman. And what it says is that if the woman has a premature birth, gives birth to the children, and the children come out and they're alive, then whatever the husband of that, that woman says the fine should be for assaulting his wife. That's what they're going to, that, that's what the assaulter pays. However, it says if the woman who gets hit, the pregnant woman who gets hit, if she goes into labor and miscarries, then the, the charge for whoever struck that woman and caused a an miscarriage is actually capital punishment, which is the exact same punishment that you would have for killing a born human being. Now, what pro- abortion believers do is they use some of the older not as literal translations of scripture and they try to translate scripture to say that when the babies come out which alive they say no no they don't come out alive they miscarry but the Hebrew word for miscarry is not used when it talks about the babies being born alive it's the same word that's used in other places in scripture to mean babies born alive. And so they just twist it and they kind of put their own interpretation spin and say something that is not in line with scripture or what's accepted as actual translation of scripture. Again, they'll say the second part when it says eye for eye tooth for tooth, when it says that capital punishment should do, they say the woman, the men struggling accidentally hit the woman and they kill the woman. However, it's not actually a feminine pronoun, what, the, what they're using. The language there is not feminine. If it was talking about killing a woman, killing the mother, it would be feminine. And so even that just shows ignorance of scripture, ignorance of translation, and shows how people are trying to twist things for their own view. And so in that situation, that's not the woman who's getting killed. Um, the, the people are getting a fine for, for assault for that. But it's the children being killed, and, and, and again, the language is talking about the children. Um, it's very clear if, if you look into it. Um, there's different. You can you can look up translation online.
0: Yeah, let, let me let me read it. It's uh, Exodus 21 verses 22 through 25. I'm reading in the English Standard Version.
1: To me, that's a very compelling pro-life case. God is saying the same punishment, which is an extreme punishment, capital punishment, the worst punishment there can be, that's given to someone for killing a born human being, is given to someone for killing a pre-born human being. So, to me, it's a pretty compelling case that God values pre-born human life as much as He values born human life.
0: Okay. Uh, is there however, is there more other passages?
1: Uh, regarding what?
0: Pro-life. Abortion. Life.
1: There, there's a lot, um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just going to use one, uh, share one more. Okay. Um, that is from the book of Luke chapter one, where Mary who uh, has just conceived Jesus by the Holy spirit um, goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, who is at the time pregnant with John who would be known to be John the Baptist. And when Mary enters the room, John the Baptist in the presence of his Lord and savior, Jesus, does a leap inside of Elizabeth's womb? So the fetus John responds to the embryo Jesus, and I think the greatest pro-life um, p- position, the greatest pro-life case made from Scripture, is not just that God values embryos, but that God Himself became an embryo. That's when God entered the world in in flesh, in form of a in the form of a human, was not as an infant but it was as an embryo that grew and developed in Mary's womb, just like you and I grew and developed in our mother's womb. And I think this is just such a beautiful picture of God making himself humble. Um, I don't think there's anything more humble than being just a single cell, single celled organism, Um, but God humbling himself down, but then also God showing how much he values, how sacred um, and how human an embryo is because God himself became became man in that in that human embryo um and it's just this beautiful beautiful picture of human life of the sanctity of human life and of how god sees all of us from the very first moment we come into being at fertilization
0: yeah maybe a good exercise for people they should go and stand in front of the mirror and ask themselves the question when did you become you Mm mm-hmm because that goes back and, and so whether it's the scientific argument that uh, life begins and separate life, separate DNA begins at fertilization. So there's a separate human being in the body of another human being who's been charged with the responsibility of caring for that that little person. Um, and so scientifically, we know that's a separate human. Yeah. But then, and then, biblically speaking, uh, with your example of the conception of the Messiah, that when did when did he become him? Mm-hmm. And according to that story, he already had, uh, in a sense, a separate personality
1: mm-hmm.
0: while he was still a very little preborn child.
1: Yeah.
0: And then we could look at ourselves: and when did we become? When did I become me? And mm-hmm. I became me at fertilization. Yep. Yeah. Wow. One of my can I can I share my one of my favorites?
1: Please
0: do. It's my show, right? And I'm yeah. your dad. No, I'm not gonna pull that one on you. Um, but uh, so it's, I know you know this, Psalm 139, starting verse 13. Mm-hmm. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And so reading this, I see the um, the domain of the preborn as a sacred place where God is intimately involved in in making us us. Yeah. And to invade that area where God is weaving the child is to is to invade this sacred space. Mm-hmm. Now again, uh, we understand that um, sadly pregnancy for, for many women is a hardship. It it shouldn't be. But a lot of things about life are hardships that shouldn't be. And just like we should help one another in whatever those hardships are, we need to be helping the members of our human family uh, with theirs. But as you're saying, I, um, I've i read some things and heard some things about the, the new Texas law, but I didn't hear about the allocation of, of funds to, to help. In yeah. fact, um, on a Canadian show where they were discussing this it was this tragedy of forsaking these women and basically hanging them out to dry and you know and you're more familiar with the crisis pregnancy services yeah. that exist than i am but these are caring sacrificial people that have many volunteers who are willing to do whatever they can to help provide both for the uh, uh the mother to be in, in crisis and the child when the child's born
1: there's and and like you mentioned pregnancy for not everyone some people feel great um pregnancy is really hard i had a honestly a, a miserable time being pregnant i was so sad i was
0: and, so glad when kezia finally appeared Dolora. <laughs> it, it was it was rough and, and was you, really you were rough. a champ but it was and if
1: I, I hadn't had support i, I don't know how i would have made it through um and i had, I think we have uh a loving husband. I have a great family. I have friends who were there to support me. And some people don't have that. And that's just so incredibly hard. And yet there is help. There is support. And maybe they're going to have to make some new friends at, at these pregnancy care centers. Um, but the friends are there, they're willing, they're ready to help. And, um, there's so much support if people are facing, uh, I'd say unplanned or maybe just difficult, difficult pregnancies.
0: So. When we talk about this issue, it very quickly turns to the issue of, uh, you know, teen moms and and troubled relationships when, and pregnancy uh, happens in the midst of of these troubled relationships and all the rest. Do you have any idea, and, and if you don't know, you don't know, how many abortions in North America are the product of these dire situations? Is, is, are they in the majority, the minority? Do you know?
1: So difficult situations, circumstantially, it's, it's hard to say if people perspectives are different. Um, someone might feel like their situation is difficult. Um, other people in a similar situation won't think that situation is difficult. So everyone, everyone has hard things in their lives. Um, I can't say about that. And, and there are statistics where you can see a bit of a breakdown of how people have reported um, the reason they're having an abortion, et cetera. Um, I think there people would would be surprised at how many people are having an abortion just because it's poor timing for them. It wasn't planned. Um, they, they just don't want to be pregnant. They don't want to have a baby um, and not saying that there aren't truly difficult situations and um, scary situations for people. It's a hundred percent true. And that's why we have to be there to help people. Um, but there, there are people at the same time who are just having abortions for cause, cause that's what they want to do. They they don't want to be pregnant. And so, in our- but
0: aren't we, aren't we meddling? Yeah. Aren't, aren't we meddling in their lives? Um, now if folks, if you haven't figured out yet, um, Devore and I have discussed these things for years, and I'm in this case, unlike other guests that I have, I'm anticipating the answers that she's uh, that she's giving. Um, and so I'm I don't believe in being devil's advocate. Hopefully, I'm being an angel's advocate in in helping her share some of these things. But so let's ask the question: um, Are we meddling in, in people's lives by insisting what women should be doing with which which is their personal private business? Well.
1: I think it's something that uh, we hear a lot is we hear a lot about um, pro-choice. And one thing about pro-choice is that it's not actually a complete sentence. It's not an argument. It's not a position, really. Pro-choice about what? And so when people say, are you pro-choice? That's what I ask. Pro-choice about what? There's a lot of things I'm pro-choice about. Um, A lot of things I think that people should consider, what's best for them, what's best for their family, and act on that belief and I won't meddle in their business. However, as uh, one uh, one young lady I was talking to in Ottawa brought up the situation, well, how, how can you not be pro-choice? You know, you're a woman; shouldn't you be pro-choice for a woman? I said, well, I'm pro-choice for women, and I think women should be allowed to parent, uh, make reproductive choices, all sorts of choices um, for themselves. However, if I find out that my next-door neighbor is choosing to beat their child, I'm going to do something about it. And if I find out that she's parenting her child or um, educating her child in a way that I personally wouldn't, I'll leave it alone. However, if that child's in danger, I'm responsible to step in. And you can think of that in all sorts of situations. I remember talking to a bunch of kids at high school, um, at high school, and they were all, you know, again, pro-choice, pro-choice. I said, well, what would happen? Um, you know, you're at a party when your friends is drinking, you might just let them drink, but What if they grab their keys and go to their car and you can tell that they're so drunk. What would you do? Oh, one said, you know, I'd call them an Uber. I'd offer them a ride, right? You might actually get in one person that I'd take away their keys. We're not going around trying to choose how our friends should get home. Um, That's their choice. They can take an Uber they can bus, they can walk. um, They can take a ride. They can give a ride, however, however it works. But if we think that person's going to be a danger to themselves or others, that's when we step in. And so the same thing, Women are allowed to make choices, and I support that completely. However, if that choice is going to end the life of a living human being, then as in any other human rights violation, I'm responsible as someone who knows, um, as someone who is capable to step in and to say something, to do something, to offer help, to offer support offer whatever it can, do whatever it can to save that child and to protect the woman from the harm of what it's going to do to herself as well, but to save that child who's going to die otherwise. So should we meddle in people's business? Generally speaking, no. However, when that person's business is going to directly harm themselves or someone else, that's when we need to speak up. That's when we need to step in.
0: Well, well said. Um, and if you don't agree with devora make sure that you email me um we put a comment in the description below um as well and uh either i will i will um respond or devora will um as we begin to wrap up um even places where there are restrictive abortion laws, and just for the sake of our Canadian audience and anyone else watching, you may not realize that Canada has no abortion law whatsoever. It's a it's a it's a basically legal wilderness uh, where our provinces do whatever they think is best, and there's no uh, laws uh, restricting abortion and we're one of only three countries in the world. That's, I think that's correct, Devorah. North Korea and China are the only other places that have no abortion laws, is that right? Uh,
1: the last time I checked, China actually had some restrictions, so it's just- not-
0: Okay, so, yeah. right, so we're becoming even more special. And there's history as to how we got here, but we do have a, a legal vacuum that actually, um, and we don't know what the numbers are uh, in terms of late-term abortions, but technically in Canada, uh, a child can be aborted until they're completely out of the mother's womb. The the pre-born child has no protection in Canada. But in places where there are restrictive laws, there still tends to be at least these two exceptions. And I know you know know this really well. I'd like you to um, help wrap up by addressing this. In cases where women become pregnant due to incest or rape, um, even some of the most most committed pro-lifers still make exceptions for those. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, that's a that's something I've heard uh, a lot of people bring up as a, as a, a concern or their one exception um, for abortion. And so I was speaking to a young lady at university once, and she brought that situation up. Um, and so I I, I just I, I I at first I just expressed empathy. I that you know "What I agree with you that sexual assault is a horrible, evil, terrible thing, we need to do everything we can to first of all prevent assaults from happening, second to to support survivors of assault when they tragically have happened, and to prosecute um, those who have sexually, who are are assaulters, we need to lock them up, we need to put them away, we need to go as as far as we can um, to punish those who assaulted others, and in doing so again, bring justice, but also to to protect others in the future. He said, however, um, imagine in a situation where someone was tragically assaulted and they get pregnant and for whatever reason they go through that pregnancy and that child's born. Would we ever look at that child, you know, that, that mom, she has this baby and she's saying, oh, it reminds me of what happened. It's triggering these past memories would we ever say to that woman, well, a solution could be, let's end the life of that innocent child. Would we ever give the death penalty, which we don't even give to a guilty assaulter, would we ever give that death penalty to the innocent child? And she said, well, of course not, that'd be terrible. So she said, if we don't give that death penalty to a child after that child's born, what about before? Why would we give that same child the death penalty? and a young man I was talking to was having a really hard time just kind of wrapping his mind around making abortion illegal even in the situation of um, rape and incest I said to him I I showed him two pictures of children who've been aborted one at 10 weeks and one at 11 weeks and in both pictures even though it's early you can still see the body parts and the intestines and the head and the fingers just everything it's all there and he's looking at these pictures these dead bloody babies and I said what if I told you that one of these children was killed because their parent was a rapist. And one of these children was, was killed just because this couple like decided after they got pregnant, now we don't really feel like it anymore. Let's have an abortion. Can you tell who's who? Or say, and I showed two pictures of, of, of healthy embryos in the womb. Can, I, can you tell me if, which child was conceived in assault and which child was conceived in love? And if you can't, why are we choosing that one child is less worthy to live and the other isn't? Yeah. And so, just kind of showing, just again, we should we should prosecute rapists. We need to support survivors in every way we can, um, but we don't support survivors by giving the death penalty to their children.
0: Yeah, there are there are cultures that. Um, would see the product of a crime like that is very, very shameful. And therefore, we need to rid the world of, of the shame. But in some of the other cultures, the culture we're part of, we're not supposed to believe that. We don't believe in double victimization, uh, that the the product of an act of victimization themselves should not also be punished for no fault of their own um and then a different picture on that is years ago in a we were in a service at a fellowship we attended i don't think you were there and in in this fellowship there was usually a time when people could get up and share something from their their week that they were thanking god for or ask for a prayer request and one of the the in a sense, I guess, one of the more beloved members of the group, somebody that people looked at with, with a lot of fondness, got up, and he started his sharing by saying something that I don't think he ever shared publicly to that m- moment. And that by that time he was married, I think they had at least one child themselves, and he said, I'm a product of rape. And all of a sudden there was this gasp, and it, it put a human face on on this on this whole issue because we couldn't conceive of the world with without this person and i know there's many other stories like this and that takes us back to when did i become me and when did you become you and many of us have come into the world based on all sorts of not so good circumstances that led to how our moms got pregnant and and um and it's wonderful uh that as in your case, you're the product of, of, of loving parents. And uh, but that's not always the case. But do we then rid the world of of that life as if we're going to make things better as a result? Um, Is there anything? So we're going to wrap up. Is there anything else that you think needs to be said before we go, Devora?
1: I'd like to say two things. That's okay. So uh, the first thing I wanted to quickly address was the other um, exception is people often talk about um, in the situation of if, if the woman's life is in danger, um, and if a woman's life is in danger because of the pregnancy, it's almost always going to be in the third trimester. And um, I've had so many people bring up, and they bring up real issues, um, real concerns that could happen to women, reasons that you know they should. Uh, their their life is in danger. Their, their pregnancy is either one of the factors or a complicating factor. Um, and I would just I just ask, and so I asked, asked a young man who thought this was a uh, a good argument for abortion. I said, Well, how long do you think um, a late term abortion takes? He said, I don't know a while. I said, Yeah, it could take up to 48 hours, even just to enlarge artificially enlarge a cervix big enough to get to get the uh, the child out in the abortion procedure how long do you think an emergency C-section is? I said, I don't know. I said, well, it can be under an hour. And so if a woman's life is in danger, her blood pressure is skyrocketing, something is going awfully wrong and it would help to not be pregnant anymore, a C-section is actually a wiser choice than the abortion. And so if a woman's ever in a situation where the doctor is saying, what, you really should get an abortion, um, you could say, well, if my life's really in that much danger, why would you recommend a longer procedure over a shorter one, one where a longer procedure that ends the life of a child versus a shorter one, which it's going to, is going to seek to save both. Um, and there's, there's other situations, but, um, and again, I don't have time to explain all the nitty gritty different details inside terminology and different medical procedures, but, uh, abortion is never needed in, um, to save the life of the mother. And there's always another way, um, We can't always save both if there's a medical emergency going on, sometimes the child is too young, they're gonna die even no matter what we do to save them both. Um, But we never intentionally have to end the life of a child. We never have to have an abortion to save the woman's life. Um, So just wanna talk about that. A lot of people don't know because they've heard otherwise again in the media, even sometimes from medical professionals um, and it's just not true. So um, yeah, you can look that up, Uh, you can study more, you can uh, send an email to to us and, and we can talk about that more. Um, so those are a couple of things I wanted to say, um, as well as um, something new uh, or newer that's happening is um, what people are taking the abortion pill. Um, and just if you or you never know anyone taking it, it's actually reversible. Um, there's a, a length of time that uh, the procedure happens. And if a woman takes the first pill and then regrets it, very often that baby can still be saved. So there's just so much to know. There's so many people we can help um, and to reach out. And so, yeah, just encouraging people to, to be able to speak up and and to find that support and to offer that support to others.
0: Well, thank you, Divora, so much. Um, I, I think you did a wonderful job. I hope our audience uh, agrees. And as we've mentioned a couple times already, if there's anything, if you're concerned, if you don't agree, you need help, uh, email me at, at uh, comments at thinkingbiblically.org, and if I can't be of any assistance, I'll pass it on to Devorah, and she could take it from there. Well, Devorah, thank you so much for doing this with me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, again, remember, please subscribe and share this podcast with others. Looking forward to other guests and other topics we're going to cover in the weeks to come. So until next time, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically.